0: Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the GAPT podcast. Uh, We're fortunate to have you on, Kareem, uh, talking all things Gaza Sunbirds. Um, In fact, I I wouldn't say it's unfortunate to have you on in such circumstances, but nonetheless, um, we've got you on. Uh, You're doing and your team are doing incredible work. And we want to hear about it and uh, perhaps see if we can support in some way, shape or form. Um, just start at the beginning, then, uh, Kareem, if you don't mind. Um, what is the Gaza Sunbirds? How did it come about? Sure. well, um, for starters, Janae,
1: thank you for having me on the Gap podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, so a little bit about the Gaza Sunbirds I mean, my name is Kenny Madi. for starters. I'm the co-founder of the Gaza Sunbirds. Uh, the Gaza Sunbirds is a paracycling team based in the Gaza Strip. So what that means is that, um outside of the war period what we do is we take athletes or sorry we take amputees people that have had disabilities due to war and um we provide them with training on getting onto a bike uh, and in this we try to develop them to become hopefully professional athletes that could compete and represent Palestine on the world stage um while kind of taking charge of their own narrative telling the story that they want to tell to the world um about their disabilities, about their journey in sports and and what that means to them. Um, so before the war started, or the genocide started rather, we had um, 20 athletes and around five members of staff in Gaza. Um, they were training all across five, uh, five days a week. We had two uh, intermediate classes, two advanced classes, and one class for children as well. So amputees age 12 to about 16. Um, and yeah, that's that's a little bit about about what the team was and, and kind of what we were up to before, before the, this genocide.
0: Now, we briefly spoke about previously about how the team came about. Um, you talked about amputees. Uh, you're talking about Gaza. You're talking genocide. So just give a bit of context as to how this team came about because that's a story in itself.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So the team came about off of the story of Alaa al-Dali, who's actually uh, my co-founder, and he is an amputee in Gaza. And not just that, he used to be the Palestinian cycling champion. So in 2018, Ala was a practicing cyclist in Gaza. He'd been practicing for six years. He dropped out of school to focus on cycling. And his dream was to make it to the big games. He wanted to compete in the Tour de France. He wanted to compete in the Olympics. But for six years, because of the siege in Gaza, there's a land, air, and sea blockade on the Strip. He was never actually allowed to leave. Um, And so in 2018, he finally got his first chance to leave. He was invited to play in the Asian Games in Jakarta. Uh, He was 21 years old. It would be the first time in his life that he was going to leave what they describe as an open-air prison. a few months before his opportunity to travel and compete, Ala went to the Great March of Return. This was a series of demonstrations organized by Palestinians at the border to protest their inability to return to their historic homelands in Palestine, um, to protest against the siege, and re- generally just the restriction on, on movement and on travel. And so Ala having never been able to travel for 21 years, he wanted to join this peaceful protest as a cyclist. He wore his cycling jersey and he took his bike with him. And he was hoping that, you know, these demonstrations would show the world the peaceful side of Gaza and, you know, um, would push for an end to the occupation. Unfortunately, uh, across that period, there were more than 32,000 Palestinians that were injured. By Israelis, uh, with the IDF, and um, about one hundred and fifty-five of them had to get an amputation, and unfortunately for Allah, on that day he was hit by an illegal explosive Israeli uh, sniper bullet that blows up on contact with the like, leg. It's designed for fatality, um, to really like traumatize whoever it hits, not just incapacitate them. And so with his bike, he was shot in his leg from about 300 meters from the fence. So he wasn't even like active danger to anybody. Um, unfortunately, uh, after this, he tried to apply to leave Gaza to get health care. Right. And um, this is another thing. Israelis can control who gets to leave and enter when it comes to medicine as well for sick people. And so... Allah tries to leave. 88% of people try to leave to get medical attention. Sorry, sorry, 100 of the... Sorry. So Allah is trying to leave. He's trying to leave. And um, on that March, 88% of people that had injuries were rejected to leave into Israel um, in order to get medical attention. And so within eight, nine days of his injury, Allah uh, Allah had to pick between his leg and his life. And unfortunately, Alaa's leg had to get amputated. And he called it the amputation of his dream. Um, But kind of luckily for us and for the world, uh, Alaa then got back on a bike within two months of his injury. And he decided that he wants to not only ride himself, but his new dream is to hold and carry, sorry, he realized that his new dream is to carry the Palestinian flag on one leg on the world stage now. That was a slight change. And so with that, I guess that's when I enter the story and Ala and I kind of meet. And um, it was me, Ala Islam Adwan from North Numbers, Sammy Galli, Flavia Cappellini, um, with the help obviously of our international partners as well in ACS and Amos Trust. And we we sorry at the time actually it was Paces, but yeah, shout out to Amos Trust as well. Um, We kind of just got together a small budget and decided that we want to start a paracycling team to give all of these people who've had amputations an opportunity to claim back their narrative and to regain their mobility. Um, And Alaa, you know, obviously this was all his idea, this was all his dream, and he wanted to use his reputation and use the kind of knowledge that he's built to make this happen for other people as well. And so that kind of launched the Gaza Sunbirds about 2020. Um, and it's been a long journey to get from there to here. I mean, working in Gaza is, is very challenging um, because of the siege. And I mean, I'm happy to delve into that
0: uh, as we kind of talk. Yeah, absolutely. So just to add some context there, um, and you're free to correct me because I'm, of course, not Palestinian, although I have visited, alhamdulillah, um, still there's there's things that are a bit shady, like you know, obviously uh, media tries to hide a lot. So this great march that you speak of, it's um, because, uh, like I said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is because many or the majority of people in Gaza are refugees in their own land, uh, in the sense that find they're in Gaza, they are in Palestinian land, but in reality, their land, their homes are in where Israel is currently. Um, So naturally, they are protesting, as you mentioned, peacefully at the uh, borders to try and uh, basically have their voices heard. Um, On our side, there was very, very few... I I try to follow in uh, the mainstream media the Palestinian plight as much as possible. Of course, it's not there as much, and if I'm not correct this protest went on for years
1: yes i believe so
0: yeah and um in in fact like i i think i only saw one guardian article on it in in that two three year series that it went on which is which is incredible and uh, as you mentioned thirty five thousand people injured which is astronomical and they did not go with weapons uh they did not go uh, to make a ruckus Uh, Yet they were shot at, and I imagine several hundred, if not thousands, were killed as well at at the ball defense.
1: Yeah, about uh, 223 Palestinians were killed. Incredible. At the event. So they mainly actually tried in that event to um, cause amputations. They were targeting kneecaps and legs more than they were targeting for fatalities.
0: Absolutely. Um, Uh, So, can you then? I guess, give some context on what's going on here and now. I'm sure you've got news from your team who can share what's what's going on today, perhaps, or even the last couple of weeks, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, from a cycling perspective, obviously, um, we've not been able to train, which has been quite disappointing. Um, there's been... <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. So there's been a lot of challenges, generally speaking, with the team. Um, We were finally approaching a point where we could have tried to send athletes out for qualification. Unfortunately, because of the ongoing genocide, we've been unable to train and to live out our normal lives. Um, the situation in Gaza has been very difficult. 21 of our teammates are effectively homeless. Their houses have been destroyed and they're living in tents um or in families houses those in houses are living with 130 140 people under one roof um, food is becoming more and more scarce every day flowers becoming more and more difficult to find um, aid although it's been coming in hasn't been getting to a lot of people food prices are up by 400 500 times in most places um, that's you know aside from the dead like I'm I'm just talking about the conditions for the people that are living like yeah a lot of people have died and right? some numbers say 22,000 some numbers say 30,000 at this point um, it's horrible it's disgusting. everyone in the team knows like two people that have been killed as a result of what's happening. Um, the psychological impact is tremendous, of just like consistently living in streets that smell like dead bodies, that smell like shit and piss because there's, there's nowhere to go to the toilet. Uh, and in that have to live with this consistent like buzzing of a drone above your head. And bzzz, they call it as a the nanny there for like hours and hours and hours. and That's it. Like it's uh, it's seriously just an apocalyptic and undignified way to live but um, thankfully the team's resilience in, in these kinds of circumstances i don't know if resilience is even a thing we can say anymore but they're just like sheer survival nature and uh, their ability to maintain a community between each other you know has, has let them um, be able to serve the community in the spirit uh, and cycling has really taken a central role in that, in empowering their mobility, especially as uh, people with disabilities. Um, Before cycling, there was very little alternatives to transportation in Gaza. There is no public transportation. The sidewalks are not brilliant. Um, It's very difficult to walk on crutches on the road. Um, There is very little cars or fuel even, particularly in like poorer areas of Gaza. And so cycling becomes a means to mobility It becomes a way to go to the supermarket it becomes a way to visit your parents it becomes a way to um, do all of these like very foundational things of the life um, and yeah I mean it's absurd that I get daily videos from these guys cycling 30 kilometers 25 kilometers like just to get to their friend's house in another city while the bombs are dropping. And it's like, they're just going to get on their bike and they're going to do it. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's resilience. I don't know what it is anymore, but um, definitely bless them. And I hope that they they keep going.
0: And uh, they've kind of, uh, from the videos we've seen, they've kind of taken their bikes to do something even more positive than they were previously. Um, they're now distributing, I read somewhere, £45,000 worth of aid <clears throat> and food uh, around the Strip. Uh, could you talk about that?
1: Yeah, you're right. So actually our bikes were bombed or destroyed. The community center that our bikes in were destroyed. The community center was completely abandoned. Uh, we have no idea why it would have been leveled, but we had about 12 of the team's bikes there, and I think they're all gone now including our helmets which is why you'll see the guys cycling around with our helmets including our shoes um, and so what happened at the start of this genocide is we paid the guys their salary at which point they're like i right, can we buy some bread for people so I'm saying, okay let's give it a try uh, go buy some bread they managed to get 300 kgs of bread um like okay can we start an aid program can we start an aid program what about mutual aid all right let's do it and so the idea of this like Sunbirds mutual aid network was formed the guys started going around um gaza trying to find whatever parcels were left in supermarkets and trying to distribute them to people Like, buy them and distribute them we did that for a while uh, eventually A lot of the shops just ran out of goods. You'd walk in and the shelves were cleared. Like literally you would not see a single product on the shelf. And the warehouses were getting bombed as well. So they were destroying the food stores. And so we ran out of places to buy tins. The tins prices became ridiculous. Like you might as well have been like peddling God knows what, you know, like it's like selling iPhones almost. And so... The guys in this moment, they decide to go to the farms. So they start going to the farms uh, from vegetables, from the farmers directly, putting them into parcels and giving them out bigger parcels. People weren't getting vegetables at the time. It was a nice mix up in their diet. Um, Lo and behold, the ground invasion goes on, unfolds, and then farmers are now struggling to go and pick up their produce. And so... Once again, there's a sharp increase in the price of vegetables. But that's also accompanied with um, the kind of forced displacement of around 1.1 million people from the north of Gaza to the south. And so you end up in a point now in Rafah, which is like 7 kilometers by 10 kilometers large, almost, um, that has 1.4 million people crammed into it, which is like... Just immense. So all of this starts to cause a difficulty for us to do vegetable parcels. And kind of in the last period, um, we have been buying flour again and buying salt and oil and these essentials. They've started coming back on the market um, and not from aid sources, just like actual distributors having them. And so um, we've been able to get a lot of this at pre-war prices, which has been very nice to see. Um, yeah, and the guys are trying to keep going. I think we're also in the process of like diversifying our activities a bit on the ground, starting to offer more like social support to people as well, so going to actually like find um uh, people with amputations and talking to them about like their journey as athletes and um that sort of thing. We've also helped build quite a few tents um at this point, particularly for our athletes and their families. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's been a bit about what the guys are doing on, on the bikes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's been kind of more impressive is the work that we've been doing with each other as well um, internationally where, you know, despite their conditions kind of under siege, they've been um, making call-outs to the international community, obviously with our support to uh, have international solidarity bike rides. And... Um, just last week, or just this Saturday, more than 60 rides around the world went out um, for Palestine in the name of the Gaza Sunbirds, which was immense. We had riders from Australia to uh, Sri Lanka, sorry, Australia to Singapore, to Indonesia, to Cairo. Um, we had England, Wales, Northern Ireland. We had Canada. Mexico, the United States, El Salvador—all of these countries kind of riding out all of the call of the of the boys on the ground. Um. So, yeah, this is a bit about what they've been up to.
0: In terms of the reaction on the ground, then, what 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 kind of reaction has they been receiving from the aid work? Is it something that uh been responded positively, or is people saying they're wasting their time in a sense?
1: no I, I don't think anyone is saying they're wasting their time people are in a seriously desperate position right now um, <clears throat> well quite literally, sorry i don't know what's wrong with my throat. <clears> throat sorry okay so what i was saying is i i don't think that people think they're they're wasting their time um, i think that like the, the need on the ground now is so immense there's so many people that don't have enough food to even feed their families that have no certainty that they're going to find food the day after. The people kind of expect, accept any and all help that they can get. Money isn't worth the same anymore. Money's value has been slashed by 10, you know, and so any of your regular expenses, whether you're trying to get fuel or you're trying to um, get bread or flour, or you're and you kind of start in firewood or coal, all of these prices have gone up so people are really looking for help in any way that they can um, considering that you know before Gaza had the highest rate of unemployment in the world at something of about 48-49% of people, of youth nowadays the number is predicted to go gone up to around 99% so this just, is just like things like money lose, lose all meaning there's no more rich and poor in Gaza you know if you end up in a tent regardless um, and so, yeah, generally speaking, sorry, I went into this tangent, but no, yeah, the, this, the the support that's being able to get brought in is hitting home. Like people are happy that they're, that they're getting this kind of support. Um, I think people are motivated as well to see people with disabilities putting themselves forward to risk their life, to support their community. Um, You know, I think there's a scarcity of of inspiration on the ground now. Um, And so much of our work as well till now has been about supporting the immediate community of the team. There are 25 people. Each person is living with at least 60 people in their house. You're saying they have a community of something in the mountains of 2,000 people. Then the friends of the team and the previous volunteers and all of this kind of stuff were a network, right? And so even just like maintaining the social cohesion, it supports uplifting the spirit, generally speaking. So our guys have, feel a lot more driven and have like objectives on the ground right now, despite uh, the brutality of the war and they see a purpose in what they're doing. Yeah. I think that um, that's such a fundamental part of, of that.
0: 100%, uh, I I used to hear this a lot more previously and still I see uh, elements of... community is speaking about this like they say oh why do you go to a protest why do you do this bike ride for example with gaza sunbirds like we're not doing anything or in reality nothing's changing could you like perhaps change that perception and uh, perhaps give point of view of people in gaza
1: yeah i mean i'd say that there's a few things to this for starters The point of all forms of protest. A protest is the dialogue. A a protest is a conversation with the street. It's an important experience. It's grounding. Particularly, you know, if you're in a protest of a million people, that's one thing. If you're protesting with like 10 people and you're on the street, you're having a conversation with the street, you know. When you gather with millions of people, you're trying to have a conversation with the world, with the government with the people that represent the city. When we come together, what it shows is an intention of action, right? Gaza for decades now has been the forgotten land. Even by Palestinians within the West Bank, Gaza is kind of forgotten, no one can relate to it. It's been cut off from the world, limited water, limited electricity, limited Wi-Fi, And so people always have a sense of being forgotten. And so, for starters, when you're talking about people on the front line trying to survive a genocide, what they need is hope. What they need is hope. And what we're able to provide internationally, for starters, if nothing else, is hope. Now, the reality is that standing around can only achieve so much. There's multiple types of dialogue. There's multiple types of conversations that you can have. Some conversations are statements. A protest is very much a statement. But then, what you see happening at a protest is it's a place for ideas and people to come together. And this is what changes from mobilizing to organizing. Now, that's the power. When you have millions of people coming together on a weekend, all in the same place, coming up with ideas on what they want to do, how they want to represent, how we can have more conversations with the street in more different parts of the world, in more different parts of the country. That is the power of it. So when we talk about movement, a movement is the larger space. You start to talk about the protest. That is a statement. That is a base over there. That is, we come together as one because it's important to unite for the idea at some point. But then ultimately it's about action. It's about us taking action within our own context. And that can look diplomatic, that can look more direct, that can look more uh, cultural or artistic, or in whatever way. But ultimately, it leads to a conversation. And conversations are difficult, which is why representation is important. When you have the same conversation through a single lens, there's a very high chance that you're going to keep butting heads. Like, what are you going to do? You have your view, they have their view, and their view is based exactly on how to oppose your view, right? And your view is based exactly on how to oppose their view. And so this is where representation and like giving space to other people in the movement becomes super important as well. So when we're able to start entertaining different angles, people start to understand a more full picture. When we start to hear... Women Palestinian voices, female Palestinian voices, you start to hear a different side of the picture. When you incorporate the voices of Palestinians with disabilities, you start to hear a different form side of the picture. When you start to incorporate the voices of Black and Indigenous struggles from around the world, you start to shift the, the story again. The same thing when you look at the South Asia, you know, and the long like battles against imperialism and colonialism, there you start to change the picture. So when we come together as collectives or individuals, I think what we're really trying to do is to inspire more people to have conversation in more diverse places, from more diverse angles, in ways that we don't even traditionally think about necessarily. And the power there being is that where you fail, someone else might succeed. And as more people start to spill out the picture, the truth becomes visible and becomes almost undeniable. And so, when we do our bike ride, I'm trying to go after the cycling community, the sporting community, the athletic community. I'm saying, look, we are a bunch of athletes. We are a bunch of athletes. Sports is about fair play. It's about equal opportunity. It's about me and you meeting up on the road. We hear the same whistle. We drive on the same street. And we have the same chance of winning depending on how hard we try. That's sportsmanship. It's that respect. When you put genocide into the mix, when you put <clears throat> 17 years of siege into the mix, it's no longer fair play. And so it's us as athletes now, it's like, where do we draw the line? Where do we say that like a win isn't a win if Palestinians can't play as well? You know, It's how can we bring people who would normally be scared to go to a march but maybe happy to go to a family-friendly protest ride uh, cycle ride um, with different people and literally have conversations with the street in more places you can get further on a bike um, you can travel more distances more areas you can go and visit places where people normally can't get to on foot you know and just having more conversations and more conversations and that's it it's humble work change is humble work change is about Millions and millions of conversations, and millions of opportunities for dialogue, and ultimately, you know, the protest. You're right; it isn't the solution. It isn't the solution if you don't take that energy back, use it as a as a as a as a moment of unity, to strengthen conversations and dialogue in the places where you are. That is that is how we bring about change. It's it's gritty work.
0: You have to just roll up your sleeves and and kind of get into it. Um, yeah, Kareem, you've had a lot of conversations with the media recently. There's the famous BBC clip um, where they tried to bat off uh, any uh, connotations of genocide. Uh, what has your general reaction been with the media?
1: Um, you know, my I'd say that the majority of my interaction with the media has been positive. Um, I'm very lucky as an advocate for multiple reasons. Um, one of the main is just like, we're a sports team. We don't intend to carry a political message. We don't We don't believe, in fact, that our message for peace and equality and fair play is a political message. I think it's just a decent message. We're just asking for our rights. Um, unfortunately, in the situation that we find ourselves in today, we. We risk this polarization, but our objective has always been to kind of bring unity through sports. That's what we're saying. We're trying to do. That's what is. What is that is what we are doing as well. When you look internationally, at Jewish voices, uh, native voice uh, voices, um, like, sorry, yeah, you have like a Jewish voice for peace. You have, uh, um, like bame and native riders and you have um, muslim riders coming from all over the world and christian riders coming from all over the world and organizations and they're all melding together to create one big movement on a bike um that's the kind of thing that people see in the sunbirds it's this like uniting of the narrative around something that's simple i think and um I felt that with the press, the press I feel are are keen to cover the story of the guys. Um, They see it as a human way to shed light on what's happening in in Palestine. And I think interestingly as well, because of the work that we do, we're able to give kind of an idea of the struggles of it and tell the story of people through it as well. Um, So I think that, yeah, I mean, the press has been a mixed bag internationally. There's definitely some people that censor more than others. There's definitely groups that um, allow more space for conversation. But generally speaking, I mean, even in that BBC interview, you know, I didn't feel any stress when it comes to getting my point across. You know, I feel like we're, we're past the point now of debating these, like some things are just facts. You know, you're going up and you're speaking about something. You're just feel like it's the truth, you know, so it's, it's, I've not been very stressed out by that.
0: Inshallah, all of this will pass very soon, and there's some form of freedom, or at least normalisation, very soon. What would, what would the dream be for the team? Is it a Paralympic, uh, uh, approaching the Paralympic Games and getting a team, some sort of team there? Is that what, what we're aiming for?
1: Yeah, I mean, the team is the, the sorry, the dream is the dream is a tricky one. The dream right now is to survive. Yeah, of course. Um,
0: and inshallah uh, that we'll we will get that inshallah.
1: Inshallah, I think we will survive. Um and inshallah when when the when the genocide is over, we're gonna have a big role to play in building back Gaza, you know, particularly for people with disabilities. Um the mission of the team now is more important than ever. We have thousands of people that have had to have amputations as a result of war. I think I I read a statistic that more than 1,000 children have had to get amputations without anesthetic. So that's just the number without anesthetic. Um, And so coming back from this war, there's gonna be so many mobility issues. There's gonna be so much infracturement as well in society. Sports is such a great unifying factor it's helped so many of our athletes get back on their legs and, and and actually have faith and and try to build a community. And from the conversation that I've had with the team, they're super keen to share that love and spread that joy with more people. So I think what we can expect going after the war is, is starting to have a bigger focus on community as an organization. Um, and one thing that the guys are particularly keen about is getting women cyclists out as well, which is going to be very challenging in Gaza. But we think that it has to happen. There's no reason it can't happen, particularly for kids. Um, it's just going to, I think it will play such an incredible role in their motivation. Um, and obviously we're hoping to partner with female cyclists to, to kind of make that happen in the Gaza Strip as well and internationally. Um, beyond that, the paralympic dream is very present right now it sounds like it's like a joke if i tell you like it's absurd there's no way we make it to paris in 2024 fortunately that's down the drain but there's 2028 there's 2028 and there's um four years to get there and you know hopefully this this ends soon and we can start preparing for that um but my hopes as well for the team is like with this newfound international recognition. Now we're going to be able to get these guys out to competitions, which has been a big struggle for us to do in the past and get them out to training camps. You know, the biggest road in Gaza is 38 kilometers long. And so to train for a 71 standard race for a C2 class athlete, like Ala, he has to go from one wall to the other and back. And so, they've always lacked the facilities to also excel in this sport. And every time we start training and things get together, bombs drop from the sky. It, it, it's such an absurd setting for trying to build a professional sports team. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to these guys' opportunities to hopefully travel and see the world and just experience something that isn't Gaza, gain some strength, and then take that knowledge back with them to
0: empower people
1: on the ground <laughs> to kind of do the same thing.
0: Have you guys registered with the UCI, by the way? We've tried. Okay. And... Long story. Okay. Yeah. We won't... we won't go into that, inshallah. Yeah. Okay. So, like... <laughs> so I, I imagine a lot of support came for the team prior to everything going on, and there's a different type of support going on currently. What can... Uh we as, when I say we, we have a very large British uh, listenership. Um, we also have listeners uh, across the world, but mostly um, in the UK and in America. What can we do to help support what's going on uh, perhaps in a, in the future? Uh, we're talking rebuilding and whatnot, and for the team itself as well. So perhaps you can point us in both in the right direction, both for the team and just generally what's going in Gaza. And uh, we'll certainly add some links in the bio once we're done as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Junaid. So I would say, I mean, for starters, follow the Sunbirds. If you like cycling and if you're interested in paracycling, particularly in the Gaza Strip, we are going to change the world of paracycling, I believe, as a team. Inshallah. And I'm looking forward to taking people on that journey with us. Um, in the next week, we're going to be advertising volunteering positions. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, the positions will already be out there. Um, we're looking for skilled people to help things from video editing all the way through to event organizing, fundraising, trying to help us with the advocacy side of the mission, as well as helping us in organizing. After the war ends like i mentioned we're starting to put together now a plan for training people after the war and expanding the services to the community um stay tuned as well on our social media to hear more information about that Um, sign up to our mailing list drop us an email if you're interested in learning more or staying in touch about the sunbird story as well um and yeah generally speaking if you're a cyclist reach out to organize a ride in your local area we did 60 rides in the last ride are um, we're not going to stop going. We want to keep expanding. Um, On the 20th, we're planning a day of action for everybody to just have new groups that haven't tried the cycle before to try and experiment with it. And then we're hoping to have another global mobilization for it on the 3rd of February, I believe, if that's the Saturday. Um, And so, yeah, if you're a cyclist and you like Palestine, come out and ride with us. Organize with different people in your community. It's, It's a great experience. Um and so you can follow us as well for more information on that. And yeah, uh, I mean and the it.
0: wider wider um well before I go into that, uh shameless plug. Uh I'm a British cycling coach. I work with the para team. I'm putting myself forward for any volunteering coaching roles you may have. Uh, perhaps not yet, but in the future, whenever you guys are ready, inshallah. Um, And then Um, secondly, what I wanted to ask is like, in the wider Gaza context, um, perhaps, obviously, we have our own charities that we perhaps might favorite uh, here in the UK. Uh, We're talking perhaps uh, Oma Welfare Trust, Human Aid, and I'm sure everyone listening has their own favorite uh, charity. But in terms of from yourself, from someone uh from of course you know people on the ground which charities perhaps we should lean towards back that we perhaps haven't thought about yet it's a good question
1: it's um it's really difficult to give a, an opinion on this stuff when it comes to aid.
0: Yeah it's,
1: everything is needed. That's the unfortunate reality and not enough of it is getting in. Um I think what's important to keep into consideration is a lot of these programs are actually run on a speculative basis. No one on Earth now knows what's going to happen in Gaza. And that's the that's the realistic view and answer to it. My optimistic view is that Gaza will be there and that we will continue to train in Gaza and on our land. and We're not going to get kicked out from it. Well, some analysts will agree with that. Others will not. The reality is that when you come to, uh, I think, donate, you really should look at the track record of the organization in terms of what were they doing in, in Gaza before, who were they working with, and what is the leadership like in this organization? Do they inspire you? Do you, do you believe in their vision for what they want to do? Um, I, I don't have any personal favorites. I mean, I, I've maybe rubbed with some organizations more than others, ACS, Associazione, Compressione, Solidarity Area, there are local sponsors there. They run a lot of cultural exchange programs. Um, yeah. Amos Trust, or other sponsoring organization, if I'm going to plug them, you maybe haven't heard of them. They do a lot of great advocacy kind of stuff as well. Um, but then, really, you know, like there's the Medical Aid for Palestinians, the PCRF, um, the Red Crescent. I mean, people know about these organizations, but it's not my place to plug them. I actually, I I would not be able to tell you how good they are or how not good they are, like on an objective basis. I'm just like spitting ideas. Um, but yeah, definitely taken with a pinch of salt. No one knows what's going to happen in the end yet. Really think about what are you investing your money in. Um, and while it's important to keep investing in like food aid and this kind of stuff, which I think that it is, uh, because it's keeping people alive now, it's just It's not a solution forever. So I I would also, you know, consider what is it going to take to rebuild Gaza? Maybe it's the time to start asking ourselves that question as well. Obviously, there's more immediate needs for the people on the ground. Everyone wants food. Everyone wants more aid to come in. But, you know, there's only 178 trucks that went in or 138 trucks that went in in the last three days or two days. It's It's grim. Now, hopefully, with more humanitarian corridors opening, that might change. I, I heard that there's a rumour that might be happening. Although, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time this podcast was released, <laughs> it turned out that they walked back on that. So, let's see what happens.
0: Kareem, thanks for coming on. Um, there's many uh, subjects we touched on, which I can tell is visibly difficult to share and talk about and uh, we we completely understand as well and inshallah things things do get better very soon. And uh, once again, thanks for coming on and we'll definitely be we'll fo- be following what you guys are doing and hopefully supporting in some way, shape or form and definitely telling your story as well.
1: Inshallah, Janine, that would be
0: great. And we're looking forward to having you coaching the team as well. <laughs> inshallah, looking forward to it. There, there, there'll be a team of us. I'm sure I'll get a few people together, inshallah. You'll need it, man. The guys are a handful. Yeah. <laughs>